When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Tuesday Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Barrett, your Ohio State coverage team from Cleveland.com. Coaching, coaching, coaching. That is the order of the day on this Buckeye Talk. We're going to talk about the best future coaches on the current Ohio State team. What Ohio State players will make great coaches down the road. We're going to talk about the coaches that Ohio State should be the most worried about out there in the world. Who are the coaches? And that's a little different than the programs, I think. That's a little different than the programs. Who out there could throw a roadblock, really? Who are the biggest roadblocks as a coach to the Buckeyes? And then which coach at Michigan? Who would take over for Harbaugh that would be the biggest problem for the Buckeyes? And then we have a very specific scenario about taking over for Ryan Day. The way the texter phrased it, phrased it, it's Luke Fickle versus Brian Hartline. Who would be the better guy in this circumstance to take over for Ryan Day? If you want to be part of it and ask us questions that spur discussion like this, 614-350-3315. Send a text to that number. You will get a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial and then $3.99 a month after that. Let's dive into these coaching questions. And we'll start with the players, right? This is from the 813. Who on the current roster do you think would have the best future as a coach? Steven. So I had a maybe and I had a definite. Uh, I went with Josh Myers. One, because he already loves to talk to the media, which is always a good plus as a head coach that you love talking to us. But also, I mean, he plays a position where you do have to have a – pretty high IQ level to be a center. You know, it's not, you know, when you're a tackle, yes, there's an IQ level in every position, but when you're a tackle or a guard, your job is to stop the other person in front of you from getting to the guy who's carrying the ball for you. While with, as a center, you're calling out signals and, you know, you're an extension of the, you're the quarterback of the offensive line almost. So there is a, a level of IQ that has to come with that. And it's also displayed in, when you look at the GPAs of a lot of the guys who are, you know, centers for – who are going to eventually be centers for Ohio State, Harry Miller, Luke Whipler, guys who could be centers in the in the future. Then my other answer was C.J. Saunders. Um, a lot of coaches, you know, they played some – probably played some level of college football, but they probably weren't that good usually outside of – obviously Brian Hartline is the exception. But, 
you know, Brian Day wasn't some a stout quarterback, but you know, he can teach him pretty well. And I think CJ Saunders, I think fits that those who can't do teach philosophy when it comes to coaches. Ryan Day was like the best player in New Hampshire. Ryan Day is so much better as a college football player than CJ Saunders. They're not even in the same conversation. But yeah, I, I understand. Get what but I get yeah, what you know, what I mean, you know, being the best in New Hampshire and you know, being the best player in Ohio, for instance. Ryan Day was so much better than CJ Saunders <laughs> as a college football player. It is an invalid comparison, but I know what you're saying. Okay. I think that's a good name, and I, we'll get into that on my answer. Nathan, what's your what's your answer? I also had a couple, um, and it, one is Court Williams. Just from what we know about him as a, a guy so far and kind of the impression he has made on people in his life already, I feel like that sort of kind of charisma and getting people to sort of buy into you as a person is really important. Because we're talking about a head coach versus just someone who would be a football coach. And I think that's different. I think being someone who could potentially be a position coach, I see several guys. But as far as like having that kind of top-level head coach kind of skills, communication skills, interpersonal skills. And we barely, I barely know Cor Williams. I've barely talked to him, but just from everything you've seen about him, he's somebody who I think would probably fit into um, that sort of realm. And then similarly, uh, Pete Werner, I think is someone who has kind of the combination of um, uh, football intelligence and just sort of that kind of grittiness that I think you need. I think the best football coach, the best, the most successful head coaches, they really are kind of grinders, especially if you get in the, the certain kinds of programs, you really have to like grind at it and work at it on a daily basis. And um, it, it, even at a place like Ohio state, I think where you can have great recruiting success, if you, you have to kind of keep that grinder mentality. And I think he's the kind of guy that has that. And the uh, neck, he's got the neck. I mean, you walk in front of a, a, a room, a team meeting with that kind of neck till the day you die, you're going to command respect. I can hear the murmur in the room. I'm like, oh, my God, look at that. Look at that guy's neck. Oh, my God, we better listen to this. Yeah, I'm in. And it's funny. I listed three names. Um, I listed C.J. Saunders. So, Stephen, I agreed with you. Uh, guy who was a walk-on receiver as a player who became a really successful head football coach. Clemson. Dabo Sweeney. Um, it's out there. I, and, and Urban Meyer was not a great college football player. Really good baseball player. Defensive back special teams kind of eh guy at Cincinnati. So the point of like, there's a lot of, um, in every sport, right? We know that it's, it's, yes, there are a few super successful. Mike Vrabel was a really good player at Ohio state and in the NFL. And now is a really good football coach. Um, but there's a lot of guys who don't fit that mold. So I had CJ Saunders just because the way they talk about him, they talk about him in a way that does not at all match the production. And that's why I do not dabble in the CJ Saunders is going to have a big impact on Ohio State winning games because it's just they like to talk about him because of the guy he is. The, the performance is not there. He practices his butt off. He works his butt off. He gives great speeches, but he's not going to play in a way that matters. So that sounds like a coach. Uh, Court Williams, I also had on my list just because Court Williams feels like he could be the head coach of a football team right now and he's 19, or whatever he is. He, right. uh, he has something. He is incredibly mature. And then the guy who I had at the top of my list who wasn't mentioned by either of you is Jonathan Cooper, who is, I think, fits the mold. It's like he was a top 50 national recruit, and his production and level of play at Ohio State um, has just not matched a top 50 national recruit. He's been solid. But he's not an All-American. He's not an All-Big Ten player. I don't expect him to be an All-American or an All-Big Ten player this year. But 
But people f- love that guy. They love his leadership. He has an incredible, upbeat personality. He seems magnetic. He seems like a guy that people are drawn to. Um, and that balance of like, listen, I wasn't a great player, but I was a big recruit. I sort of can relate to guys with great talent and great expectations, but I can also relate to guys who are kind of doing their job, but not being the actual stars of the team. I just feel like Jonathan Cooper has a little something there. So, but there's a lot of guys, right? I mean, you go through, I, I covered Brian Hartline as a player. I would not have guessed Brian Hartline. If I had done this exercise when Brian Hartline was playing and, in seven and eight and nine, I don't think I would have had Brian Hartline on that list. Kenny Guyton, a college football assistant coach, I would have had Kenny Guyton on this list a thousand times out of a thousand. You know, Jim Cordell's an offensive lineman who's in coaching right now. Mike Brewster is a former Ohio, Ohio State offensive lineman who's in coaching right now. You know, Bo Pelini played at Ohio State. I don't know. We can ask Tim May. Did he seem like a future coach when he played at Ohio State? Luke Fickle. I, I bet maybe people thought Luke Fickle when he was playing nose guard and was this tough former wrestler, maybe they would have said, yeah, that guy's going to be a coach. So you do see some of them coming. Um, but as Nathan, you said, there's a lot of guys I think that we could pick out for something like this. Yeah, and I think that's that's an interesting question too. Like if, if the question had been posed to you when Hartline was playing, do you see him being a receiver coach someday or do you see him being a head coach someday? Could you give maybe two different answers? Yeah, I just would have thought, I mean, I thought maybe, and I didn't think he was going to be a coach even when he was done playing. I mean, he made money in the NFL. He's a businessman. I just think sometimes you see that a guy's interests don't match up with, hey, do you want to recruit 365 days a year and watch film 14 hours a day? You know, like it's a lifestyle. It's 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 hard, man. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, sometimes is when I'm picking answers for this like someone like okay maybe like Paris Johnson he has some of those same qualities that we talked about with Court Williams I think just as far as being like his personality uh, how engaging he can be those sorts of things however I think he's probably going to go to the NFL and make just a trillion dollars and then I don't know do you really then want to go back and to a more um now again if you're a head coach at Ohio State obviously you make very good money but that's those jobs are few and far between so do you want to go back into that and you have to climb to it so do you want to go back into that climb and be making less money and have one of these like 366 day a year jobs. It's like, I, I don't know. I think if I'm in that position, as much as I love football, maybe even if I had a brain and, and some aptitude for it, I'd probably go in a different direction and, and use it. If I was going to think of one of these 2020 guys, I'd actually maybe throw G Scott in there as well. He's, you know, already got, you know, he grew up around, you know, his father obviously works in the media. So he, he's grown up around and knows how to you know, operate within that space already. And, and the times we had we've had an opportunity to talk to him, I mean, he he kind of gives off that same type of demeanor that you know Josh Myers gives off when dealing with the media. So I, maybe I'll throw him in there as well as well as you know the high IQ kid. I, I think coaching bloodlines is important. I think that sometimes is a is a real factor. And he's been around pros. Like, yep. You know he's like he know like, and maybe he's a better suited situation for it as an NFL guy because he's been Richard Sherman. I mean, he's worked out with him a million and one time. So he's been around professional athletes, knows how to operate within that space. I think G Scott's a great name. Um, Marcus Freeman, when he was here, I would have said, uh, of course, I mean, I did a big story with Marcus Freeman about what he wanted to be in football. Uh, and I thought Marcus Freeman was going to be an AD. I wrote that story when he was finishing up his career at Ohio State. And I think maybe Marcus Freeman still might end up as an athletic director. I mean, you know, Gene Smith was an assistant football coach at Notre Dame once upon a time. Um, but also, I think Marcus Freeman is going to wind up as a head college football coach probably sooner than later. Um, and you would have seen that one coming. 
you know, you, you would have seen that one coming. So there are, there just are guys who sort of have that certain way about them. And it's, uh, and it's interesting to think about because somebody's going to be it. Somebody on this 85 man roster is going to be a college coach. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Will they be a college head coach? I don't know, but they're going to be in the profession for sure. Um, Let's get into a very specific, I want to hold the, the sort of the, the roadblocks for Ohio State for last. This is a very specific type of question. And again, we enjoy the specificity from the 513. The year is 2030. So as we mentioned on the, the Monday, the Market Down Monday podcast, maybe Ryan Day has just finished up coaching RJ Day as Ohio State's quarterback. And he's gone out, gone out on top coaching his son. It's 2030, and Ryan Day is on his way to the NFL after a couple of national championships. Brian Hartline became Brent Venables 2.0, the Clemson defensive coordinator, who has been a huge part of their success, but has not left for a head coaching job. By Brent Venables 2.0, the point here is longtime coordinator. Brian Hartline has become Brent Venables 2.0 and has been the offensive coordinator for the last six seasons. With the current playoff deal ending after 2025, an expanded playoff would start in 2026. Luke Fickle is still the coach at Cincinnati and has made two out of four playoffs as the group of five automatic bid. Again, specificity. Who does Ohio State hire as the next head coach, Brian Hartline or Luke Fickle? And so the point here is this. They're both Ohio State alums. One has gone on and is a successful head coach. One has stayed at Ohio State and is a successful coordinator. So that's the difference here. Ryan Day was promoted as a successful coordinator without ever having been a head coach. Jim Trussell was hired after having success at a smaller program in Ohio. Nathan, this scenario, which way do you think Ohio State would lean, Heartline the coordinator or Fickle the head coach in 2030? Or elsewhere, or do you not like either option? Well, I think both options in the, as they're presented would be attractive. Um, I'm, I'm skeptical that if Luke Fickle's getting Cincinnati in the playoff, that there would be, that he would do it multiple times before somebody else gave him a pretty great job. He would have to be at that point holding out only for Ohio State, right? At that, in that scenario. And I guess we've already kind of talked about that. Um, I turned down Michigan State. He turned down Michigan State. That's true, but we're also talking about – the other wrinkle here is at 2030, we're not talking about Gene Smith probably making this decision, right? Correct. So Martin, Martin Jarmond is making the hire. Right. Um, I, guess, I guess I would lean fickle, but only because he will have then been such a veteran head coach at that point. Um, not only will Hartline not have been a head coach at any point – I know that they've improved other people – or. Uh, um, promoted other people, including Ryan Day, without having that step. Um, Ryan Day also had the NFL experience as a coach. Um, just, I don't know. I, 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 I would lean Fickle. Steven? Yeah, I'd probably lean Fickle in that situation as well. Um, I, I understand it worked out with Ryan Day being groomed as head coach, but he was also a quarterback's coach, and he was a play he's already he was already a play caller and and that situation where yeah okay that's brian hartline's column plays by that point with brian days here for 12 years Mm -hmm. and brian hartline's the offensive coordinator brian hartline is calling plays for the ryan day offense but ryan day is not gonna be calling plays not gonna be have his head buried in a play sheet eight years from now they all give it up at some point most of them do 
do do you think Brian Hartline wants to be a head coach? Yeah, that I think he'd want to be Ohio State's head coach. Very possibly. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Brian Hartline I was a little surprised when Brian Hartline got in. Now that he's in, I don't think he's like, you know what? I have a millions of dollars in the bank and I'm just coaching to kind of stay busy, but you know, I'm not that ambitious about it. I like living in Columbus. I like working with receivers. This is all I want to be. I, I do not think that's his view on that now that he's in it. So what's your final answer, Stephen? I think I'd still lean Fickle. Okay. So in 2030, uh, Luke Fickle would be 56. Luke Fickle and I are like the exact same age. Brian Hartline would be 43. Uh, so there's a difference there as well. Nathan, you had mentioned like they hired they they hired Ryan Day without being a head coach first. But like the point of that is like they'd never do that. Right. Like Ryan Day was like off the reservation with that. Um, In special circumstances too, right? I mean – Not that special. I mean like yes – well, special circumstances, I think like more like like Gene Smith thought he saw something. And Gene Smith has said, I would not have hired any other assistant that I have been around at Ohio State. I would not have promoted them to the head coaching job. And I have had conversations when I wrote the big story about Luke Fickle. You got to leave. You got to leave to come back. Earl Bruce was an Ohio State assistant. He went and was the head coach at Iowa State and then set himself up to take over for Woody. Jim Tressel won national titles. He was an Ohio State quarterbacks coach. He went and became the head coach at Youngstown State and won national titles. You know, Urban Meyer, his... He didn't go from he didn't he wasn't the Notre Dame receivers coach and then the Notre Dame head coach. He went to Bowling Green. He went somewhere else to build it up. Yes, Lincoln Riley got promoted. Yes, Dabo Sweeney got promoted. Yes, Ryan Day got promoted. There are many, many examples of it. I still wonder if that are those just multiple high profile exceptions to the rule in recent years, or has the rule changed? Do you guys think that because of Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley and Dabo Sweeney and some other people, that it does feel more likely that at big-time programs you can promote a coordinator that you trust in-house without having to require head coaching experience. Is that changing? Well, again, when I said special circumstances, the one wrinkle for Ryan Day was he did get the interim stint. You did get it kind of a little preview, if you're Gene Smith, of what how he would operate as a head coach. And even in Clemson, it was here to finish out the rest of the season, which was his version of what Ryan Day got with those three games. And then they got to at least see what it might, might look like, even if it is a small sample size. With the Brian Hartline situation, there's no even small sample size to go off of before you're making that decision. Correct. So um, I – I mean, it's one of those things. Gene has mentioned himself that those three games mattered to him. But I, I haven't ever asked Gene this question this way. But, like, are you telling me that you love Ryan Day? You gave him a million bucks to stay so he wouldn't go to the, be the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. But that the only reason he got the head job is because Urban Meyer got suspended. If Urban Meyer had never gotten suspended but he, he retired because of the headaches anyway, then you wouldn't have hired Ryan Day? Like, I don't – I can't imagine that it's like, I love this guy. I love everything about him. And three games, two two crappy games and a win over TCU 
the way he handled that, that puts you over the top? I don't know. That's a little weird. That's a little like leaving it so much to circumstance that thank goodness Urban got suspended. Otherwise, you know, David Shaw would be Ohio State's head coach right now. I just, I just don't know that I believe that. I think he would have done it anyway. So in general, so yes, Dabo and Ryan Day are a little different, but do you believe that previous head coaching experience is still a very, very valuable component? And you both picked Luke, so maybe the answer is yes. That Nathan, you think previous head coaching experience is very a valuable component for someone being hired at a place like Ohio State? I do, and you know, unless unless you see that kind of maybe you know once in a lifetime sort of thing in 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 one of the assistants, um, and God, that's just such a such a vague thing to be. It's just a, it's just an it. It's just an X factor, right? That you something you probably can't even fully describe if you're you're Gene Smith. It's almost just like a vibe that you get from somebody. So um, I'm not saying Brian Hartline doesn't have that. Um, but we're also predicting, we're also basing this off of someone who, like you said, has only been in coaching now for, this is going into his third year. This uh, is technically his second official year as the wide receiver. But, but you're right. But third year kind of involved at all yeah. after he, he stepped in for, for Zach Smith. So, um, gosh, I, it's that, that also is a bit of a complication. We're still so very young into what Brian Hartline is as a coach. We're seeing with the results as a recruiter. Um, but as far as like, I, I don't know that I gauge his potential offensive mind to even be the offensive coordinator someday the same way you would for a quarterback like Ryan Day. I think there's validity in hiring a guy who at least has some idea of what it's like to be the guy in charge. I think that's possibly very true. I would imagine, um, and the person used Brent Venables in the question, if four, four years from now Nick Saban retires at Alabama, Alabama throws gobs of money at former walk-on Dabo Sweeney to come home. Dabo Sweeney leaves Clemson for Alabama. Would Clemson promote Brent Venables to be the head coach? I think the answer is a thousand times yes. I think there's no doubt about it. I think if that happens, I don't even think they have a search. I think they they thank Dabo Sweeney and they hand it over to Brent Venables like immediately. So, yeah. so in the framing of this question, Brian Hartline has become that valuable. That's the thing, right? If the guy is the part of the fabric of your program, that was the thing. They believe that Ryan Day in two short years had become part of the fabric of Ohio State. If Ryan Day is winning at Ohio State, that Ryan Day was a continuation of Urban Meyer, but then obviously if he's here for 10 years, he's doing his own thing, but it's still succeeding. You're not replacing a fired Ryan Day. And Brian Hartline has now become part of the fabric of Ryan Day's version of Ohio State success. Maybe you just keep it moving. That is a little bit different. Even, you know, Lincoln Riley slid right in for Bob Stoops because Lincoln Riley, once he got there, was a big part of Bob Stoops' success. And then he just slid right up. I do think if you're – sometimes it can be different. If the assistant is replacing a fired head coach, it's sort of like, well, the thing that we were doing here didn't work. Why would you promote the guy? who was part of what didn't work. If the head coach is leaving for a next step of success, maybe you do keep it moving. I think my answer is Hartline. In that scenario, if Brian Hartline, and I, and I could see that, I could see that world. I think my answer in that situation would be Brian Hartline because of that. Fair enough. Yeah. I can, I understand. I, I, you know, it makes sense. I just like, like the, 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 
being able to to pinpoint being having been in that position before, I think helps. All right, I, it's fun to talk about. Um, yeah. Quick break, quick break, and we'll come back with the coaches who are going to be the biggest problem for the Buckeyes next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, two separate questions here we're going to do. One is a texture question, one is a playoff a texture question. One is the idea of who would be the biggest thorn in the side for Ohio State as Michigan's coach. What is the Michigan hire that could sort of be a problem for the Buckeyes, the biggest problem? But then I want to spin off of that and say, like, who is just potentially the biggest problem for Ohio State in general right now? So let's start there. This is my spinoff of the question. And again, I think it's a little different than program, maybe. But who are the coaches that are the biggest issue for the Buckeyes? And I think biggest issue is just like, who could prevent Ohio State from getting where they want to go? And I said, let's maybe think of two. And I guess maybe is it just so obvious that if you're naming two, the two are Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney, end of discussion, so that maybe we move past them. Is there anybody else who rises to the level of Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney when you're thinking about it this way? Nathan. You know, and I actually don't even really think of it in terms of Saban and Sweeney just because so much has to go right for you to even be there. I know that that's the expectation every year that Ohio State will be there, but you've got to cross bridges to, to get there. So um, James Franklin is, is high on my list um, just because, I you know, I think perennially Penn State is, is really strong, and they're a team that keeps giving Ohio State fits even when they usually – even when Ohio State wins that game. But they only beat them once. But they only beat them once. I know, but it's but how how many other teams in the Big Ten are even competing with Ohio State the way Penn State does? But if the goal, and I think it's fair to assume, I mean, the expectation, the goal for Ohio State every year is winning the national championship, right? Right, but but okay, but for instance, in 2019, Nick Saban wasn't much of an impediment to Ohio State potentially winning the national championship because they didn't even make the the final their playoff. Now I know that's the first time they never did, but that's it's just it's harder for me to predict based on teams they may never play. Um, and also, partially, I just didn't want to give the obvious answers. So the two that I said were James Franklin and then maybe kind of a wild card here, but I said Mel Tucker because I think if he comes in and restores Michigan State back to a level near where they were a few years ago, or maybe not even quite to that level, but just makes them a more plausible team to beat Ohio State in any given year, that just makes the road to the playoff that much harder. As we discussed before, you know, relative to a team like Clemson, Ohio State already has a tougher road. And that will make it even harder if, if Michigan State bumps itself up just even a little bit. So I think those are two very good answers. And here's the thing that I'm, int- I'm curious about. Mel Tucker, we don't know about yet. Mel right. Tucker is a longtime, really good assistant coach in the NFL, um, at Alabama, at Ohio State, at Georgia. Got his first shot at Colorado, Northeast Ohio native, and is now at Michigan State. I think there's an expectation that, like, if Mel Tucker can make Michigan State sort of the version of the Mark D'Antonio Michigan State, that on the field proved they could screw up Ohio State season. Michigan State, I mean, if you're talking about who has been the the biggest roadblock to Ohio State success in the modern era, which individual coach? It's Mark D'Antonio. He screwed up 15. That's D'Antonio. He screwed up 13. He screwed up two mm-hmm. potential national championship seasons. That's more than what Saban and, and Dabo would do to Ohio State. Mark D'Antonio changed the course of Ohio State history. So if Mel Tucker can be any kind of version of that, that is huge. But we don't know that yet, and that's why Mel Tucker, I think, Nathan, is a really good answer. James Franklin, 
Do you think James Franklin can be better than he's been so far? Is there a next level? Because as much as I have respect for James Franklin, and we have talked about all the times Penn State almost beat Ohio State in recent years, and that Penn State has been much more of a challenge than Michigan has been, they still only got him once. And the year they got him, Ohio State went to the playoff anyway, and Penn State didn't. Is there a next level that James Franklin would have to get to to really be a thorn in Ohio State's side? Or is basically doing what he's done, is that still enough of a problem for Ohio State? I think just doing what he's doing right now is enough of a problem in some ways. I mean, we look at the 2020 schedule, going to Penn State, having to play at Penn State, and yes, their atmosphere and everything plays into that, but they're also a really, really good football team year in and year out. I mean, that's, that is kind of the scary game on Ohio State's schedule, right? If you had to, if you had to guess what one game could maybe keep Ohio State out of even making a playoff in 2020, it would be that game at Penn State. So I, I think as long as he is maintaining this level of competitiveness with Ohio State at Penn State, um, that I think makes him a really dangerous coach. Now, do I think he can go higher? I think what Penn, what Ohio State has done really well as far as maybe building a barrier to that is going into Penn State and getting some of the or going into Pennsylvania I should say getting some of the best recruits in that state and that's going to be kind of their nucleus going forward so I think that you know the common cord Marvin Harrison Jr. those kind of guys may be defining this rivalry here as it goes Julian Fleming that's exactly what he can do he can stop letting those kids go to Ohio State so if if he ever if he ever puts up a better wall around the state and keeps those guys from going to the team that is defining his seasons right now, then, then yeah, absolutely. I think this can, can, he can become more dangerous, but right now, just even what he's doing, I think makes him a pretty, it makes Penn state pretty dangerous to him, a dangerous coach. by Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania has five top 100 recruits in 2021. None of them are committed to Penn state. Two are committed to Ohio state and one's going to, going to Clemson. And those three go to the same high school. And Kyle McCord, Jeremiah Trotter and Marvin Harrison jr. So he can start there by stop letting guys like Julian Fleming and Kyle McCord and Jeremiah Trotter go everywhere but Penn State. As, as much crap as we give Rutgers for not keeping New Jersey kids home, Penn State's got to keep Pennsylvania kids in Pennsylvania. Like they've got, there's another five-star kid there who's like crystal ball 50-50 Penn State, Wisconsin. Those guys got to stay. They got to stay in Pennsylvania. It's it's two questions. It's you got to keep them home, and if you can't keep them home, you you got to try to do something to keep them away from Ohio State. Right. Steven, what's your answer before we get into more James Franklin? I'd like to get into more James Franklin, but was James Franklin on your list? He was just because Penn State is on that next tier of teams in college football. And so what we just talked about, if they can, you know, I guess lock down their state, maybe, you know, they can sneak up and be what D'Antoni was for uh, was in the 2010s for Ohio State and that thorn in their side. But then also, as maybe a stretch, I said P.J. Fleck. If he Ooh, what, something you kind of he's up yeah yeah so something you you I think you alluded to on a couple of podcasts ago about what if he decides to stay at Minnesota and actually build something and that's the team Ohio State is running into in the Big Ten championship every year and we're gonna I mean it starts in 2021 when they go to Minnesota with a brand new first year starting quarterback game one of the season right before they face Oregon for the second time. So he can start being a thorn right there and then. But what if that's the team that, you know, if P.J. Fleck can build something there and every year for – or at least four or five times this decade, it's Ohio State and Minnesota in the Big Ten Championship game. God, that is such a good answer. Um, There's a big P.J. Fleck discussion ahead. Uh, I had – I think I would say potentially P.J. Fleck – 
um, and Dabo on my list because the issue is that Ohio State's never beaten Clemson. So it's like, as we sort of said before, uh, as we said on the Monday podcast, Ohio State beat Bama. The, the, the chance they got on Saban, at Saban, they beat him. I mean, they, they, they did it. Um, and they outplayed Clemson. But they didn't do it. And then there's been other times when Clemson is like taking care of business against Ohio State. So, and Clemson is a Dabo creation. Uh, Saban, yes, Saban also brought Alabama back from the dead. Um, but Clemson was not Clemson before Dabo. So it was like, if, if Dabo leaves Clemson, then I, I think Clemson's not Clemson anymore. Even though we just said Brent Venables might take over for him, I think that it might be very specific, very coach related. Um, so I would have Dabo on my list for sure. But I think PJ Fleck is very interesting as, potentially building a legitimate West challenger that yes, it's about the regular season, but it's about going to the big 10 championship game. If you assume that Ohio state is going to continue to go to the big 10 championship game and it's going to be indoors and they're going to be playing a team. Wisconsin is so good in a specific way. And that way does not beat Ohio state, but they are the best team in the West. What if the best consistent team in the West, the power, the, the, the number one team in the West division isn't a power run three tight end team. It's a sling it, throw it, athletic, let's go team. It doesn't mean Minnesota is as good as Ohio State. It means what if Minnesota becomes the kind of team that if Ohio State plays them indoors 10 times, Minnesota really might win three. And that all of a sudden, when Ohio State's going to a Big Ten championship, they're going saying, oh, man, Minnesota, they do a thing. I just saw a list. Someone had a list of the top five quarterbacks in college football for 2020. And Tanner Morgan was fifth, Mm -hmm. Minnesota quarterback. And Rashad Bateman is going to be on every list of the five best receivers in college football. If that's what they're starting to do, I think that absolutely changes Ohio State's reality because at the moment, the best team, there's no doubt who the best program in the West is, and they are not a threat to Ohio State. So I think that is a huge game changer if Minnesota becomes that. And in the name, image, and likeness world, if they can capitalize on an, on an urban center like Minneapolis and just provide opportunities and Fleck is that right kind of guy, I think it could happen. Nathan, when you hear Stephen and I say Minnesota and P.J. Fleck, and again, not Minnesota, we're talking about coaches. When, we, when you talk about P.J. Fleck in that way, does it strike home with you at all or does it seem far-fetched? I don't, I, I, I don't feel as much as you guys do. I understand what you're saying. It, it all makes logical sense. I just didn't see from Minnesota last season. I was not a believer in Minnesota to the extent that some other people were last year. That was reflected in the way that I voted for them all season. So – I I don't see it yet, but I could see that scenario unfolding. I think similarly, and this is kind of a cop-out answer, but maybe a fun one. Um, maybe the answer to this is whoever replaces Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. If they hit the right guy, that potentially becomes a, obviously a big nemesis. Good segue. Which we'll get to the next question. But before we segue, I want to finish up the Penn State discussion because as much as I think you, you, you got to respect what James Franklin has done, you have to put them on a list. It feels like almost every year, you know, when you list Ohio State's most dangerous games, Penn State is either number one or number two on that list. And when they're when the game is at Penn State, it's probably number one. He's one in five against Ohio State. And so 
do we believe and they've they've had so many close calls and they haven't gotten it done. They didn't get it done in overtime. They didn't get it done when when JT Barrett led the fourth quarter comeback. They've they've should be better than one in five, but they're not. Are they one in five against Ohio State and played so many close games because man, they are right there and it's a coin flip away and they easily James Franklin could easily be three and three against Ohio State. Or are they one in five against Ohio State because they're good enough to push them, but not really most of the time good enough to beat them. And I do think that there, there is something about being good enough to win. And like Penn State's really good. They're a cut below Ohio State, though. If Ohio State's in tier one in college football, Penn State's in tier two. And being in tier two means you're really good. But is there still enough of a distinction between those two tiers that it's like, great, they can give us trouble, but really they're not going to consistently actually beat Ohio State. What's your view on that, Nathan? Well, to me, I kind of look at it the same way I look at Ohio State and Clemson because Ohio State is clearly good enough to beat Clemson. They clearly were good enough to win that game last year. They just didn't. Clemson went out and won the game, and Clemson certainly uh, won the game in uh, 2016. So, you know, they they deserve to be on the field with them, but there is a difference. And I think that probably is kind of how I look at the, the Ohio State-Penn State rivalry right now. But the, But the reason why it's still, I think, um, important is because there just aren't that many teams that can even say that on a year in year out basis. They just, they, they, they prove their worth on the field against Ohio state, even if they don't win the game. Um, that's not happening top to bottom in the big 10. They might be really the only program that could say that. I, I suppose you could argue Wisconsin has, has played some competitive games, but it's, it's really Penn state right now. That's really the one team. And the fact that they're in the big 10 East, the fact that they'd have to play at Penn state every other year, um, that also is a factor here and why I would pick why I picked Franklin, just because it's it's a much more urgent in your face presence than these other options. Steven, do you believe that Penn State, the fact that they've been so close means they are a danger or the fact they've been so close and Franklin's only one in five means they really can't get over the top? I think it's more they've been so close, but they can't really get over the top, mainly because they can fix part of the reason why they can't get over the top, the top and what we've already talked about. But then that's why. I, you can play them competitive all you want, but if you're not going to win the game, you, you don't win the game. And they, they're good enough to make it competitive, but they're not good enough to get over the top. While with the Ohio, to, to use your Ohio State Clemson comparison, Ohio State was good enough to get over the top. Some things just went haywire. But Clemson, I mean, Penn State has not proven that they were good enough to get over the top. I, I do think the one difference between a Penn State to Ohio State comparison and an Ohio State to Clemson comparison is. Penn State does not recruit at Ohio State's level, but Ohio State pretty much does recruit at Clemson's level. So I think when you talk about talent on the field, I think you would say there is a talent gap between Penn State and Ohio State. It's certainly not it's not huge, and it's not as big of a gap as there is between Ohio State and the other teams in the Big Ten. But I don't know, especially – now Clemson's recruiting better, but I don't know that there's a huge talent gap between Ohio State and Clemson. They just did some other things to win. Like, would you dispute that, Nathan, or would you kind of agree with that? No, I wouldn't. I, there is a talent gap, absolutely, um, as kind of as we alluded to before. And, and part of it is that Ohio State's really been emphasizing that too. I think it's going to – and that's what's, that's what's critical here going forward. Are they going to – is it going to continue to widen – especially with the head-to-head battles that are going on, or is Penn State going to have some sort of answer to that? Right now, I don't necessarily see that answer that's going to make them a a greater threat. So the thing I think in the end is if James Franklin continues exactly as he is, really good, really competitive, 
Would he be dangerous to Ohio State? I don't know that it would be dangerous. If James Franklin starts – if Brian Hartline lives at Julian Fleming's house to try to get him and James Franklin wins that recruiting battle anyway, if Ryan Day loves Kyle McCord and James Franklin goes into Philly and says, nope, he's coming to Penn State, if and when that starts happening, then I think yeah. everybody's antenna would be up. I think it's possible that could happen someday. It doesn't feel like and Nate and Steven, you laid out that it's not. It's not happening right now. So I would say James Franklin as is, not super it's like, yes, competitive, maybe not super dangerous, has the ability to be super dangerous if he ups the recruiting a little bit. Final yeah. question. The Michigan coach that would be most dangerous to Ohio State. And this is the question from a texter from the eight five eight. Who would be the most dangerous coach to Ohio State if Michigan uh, had their way and Harbaugh leaves Michigan anytime soon. Their candidates are Jeff Brom, Matt Campbell, PJ Fleck. For PJ Fleck and Brom, do you see them as a threat in the long term, even in their current position? That's talking about at their current school. So we covered that. Let's talk about who it could be at Michigan. This is Colin who asked this. He has his candidates. We don't have to stick to Brom, Campbell, and PJ Fleck. Who is the most dangerous guy to go to Michigan and really? create problems for Ohio State. Steven, start with you. So I had Matt Campbell at Iowa State as my option. And I'm sorry, let me get my notes back up here. We're talking about 30 minute things. He knows he knows that area pretty decently so he can recruit, you know, the Michigan area from his time at Toledo. We were 36 and 15 as a coach. And he started to build something there at Iowa Iowa State. Obviously he hasn't done necessarily what PJ Park has done at, at Minnesota, but he start he's he, and he's popped up on some lists already when it comes to coaching hires of places he could have left Iowa State for. So I think that would be a guy to look at if, you know, Michigan ever did get rid of Harbaugh and decide to go in another direction. Nathan. Well, it's a name that we've brought up before with with this question, right? But, I mean, would Luke Fickle consider that job? I think he would, yeah. I think if Luke I, Fickle I, thought that, that, like, Ryan Day's not going anywhere, yeah. I think that is potentially just because of what he is in Ohio. I think, you know, one way for Michigan to potentially start to twist this rivalry is if they start having more recruiting success in Ohio. Right now, they're really not an entity, um, at least not for the guys that Ohio State wants first. If they can start to bend that, kind of what we're talking about with, with, with James Franklin and Penn State, if you start to bend that back a little bit um, and then better sometimes protect yourself from losing guys in Michigan too. Uh, that's how I think, because that's where the talent gap also has to dwarf, has to um, decrease. I mean, they, they have to find a way to pull themselves back up to Ohio state's level from a, a, a talent standpoint. Right now, the gulf is just too wide for them to as much talent as Michigan has. It's it, that kind of, ex, or it emphasizes how much talent Ohio state has. So I think those are both very interesting. Matt Campbell's on my list for sure. Um, I think P.J. Fleck is interesting. Um, as much as he would be a threat at Minnesota, and someone already mentioned this, I mean, to put him at Michigan, I didn't know if P.J. Fleck was a used car salesman or like the second coming of Urban Meyer, right? When, when I couldn't exactly tell what he was when he was in the MAC. Um, it feels like what he's doing at Minnesota is, is real enough to think he's not a used car salesman, that he's energetic and dynamic but there's substance behind it and so i think to come and be energetic and dynamic at michigan um rich rod was not a cultural fit brady hoke was low-key jim harbaugh's weird you know lloyd carr was kind of low-key like i don't know that they've had a dynamic 
attractive personality. Harbaugh's his own thing, but he's he's as off-putting to some people as he is inputting to some people. That's not the word, but like I don't know that they've had like a really like force of personality at Michigan since Bo. Honestly, I I, I really don't. The, the other guys have not quite been like that. And so sometimes it's like we talk about what's the problem, all these things we talk about, and we talk about all these such important things, but sometimes it really just comes down to how good is your coach and how good is your quarterback. And I think when you think about what's happened at Michigan since Bo Schembechler, it might just be getting the right dynamic guy, and they haven't had it. They've just missed. And Lloyd Carr won a national title there, shared a national title there. Nobody would say that he's Bo. So what if P.J. Fleck would be that? And I've said maybe Matt Campbell, maybe Matt Campbell would be Michigan's version of Jim Tressel and emphasize the rivalry and understand Ohio. And I think Luke Fickle could be that, obviously, as well. Understand the Ohio-ness, the Michigan-ness, the roots of the rivalry. But what if you just needed a guy who made everybody around Michigan sit up in their seat and say, whoa. Not just be proud to be a Wolverine, but say, whoa. And what if P.J. Flex that guy? I think that would be possible. And if that happened, because Woody was Woody, and then I think Bo got to Michigan, and I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on Bo and Woody. Woody was Woody, and then Bo got to Michigan and made people in Michigan say, whoa. I think that's out there. I think the, I think it's possible that the solution for Michigan is as simple as that. And then another guy that I had on my list, and we can all fall into the trap. We just fell into the trap. It's not a trap. It's a question. The Luke Fickle, Brian Hartline, you talk about guys who played at the school. And we all love that, right? Jim Harbaugh, a big part of his appeal is that he played at Michigan. But the thing about Harbaugh is he's weird. And this happens in politics sometimes. And it's like here are people's attributes. Their attributes are X and Y and Z. But then it's like, yeah, but the thing is, everybody hated them. So who cares about their attributes? I think Jim Harbaugh might have every attribute you want to be a successful Michigan head coach, except he's weird. So what if you got a guy had, who had every single Jim, attrib- Jim Harbaugh attribute who wasn't weird? He played at Michigan. He loves Michigan. He knows what it, be, what it is to be a Michigan man. All that stuff. But he's normal. Normal. But so my, my pushback on that is I think PJ Flex kind of weird. Yeah, well, but I think the there's there's, no, there's there's I, I think you're you're right you're right Nathan I think he is a little weird too but he's also like energetic and you can kind it kind of get behind that. Harbaugh is like you had a conversation with him and then you walk away and you go what what, what? you go what was that? I, I don't think yes. I, and I thought Flex not, Flex not aloof the same way that no. Yeah, it's like with Flex, it's like man, he's weird, but like I would love to play for him. He's a little over the top, but I do think he's not as all sizzle, no steak as I thought he might be. I think there is some steak to PJ Fleck, but the guy that I think so, I'm trying to think of if you want the alma mater, if you want the guy who played at Michigan, understands Michigan, but isn't weird. Mike Hart is a guy who is making his way up the coaching ranks at the moment, the former Michigan running back who, who Ohio State fans know very well as a guy who, who talked a lot during the rivalry uh, and they never got over the top, never beat Ohio State. 
but he, um, I think, has stated that his goal is to be the Michigan head coach someday. He's currently the running backs coach at Indiana. He's been several places. He is clearly working his way up. And what if Mike Hart could bring you all the things that Jim Harbaugh brings, but he's not weird? So, like, sometimes all the stuff we talk – and I love to talk about every little nook and cranny of stuff. It's just like – it might just be like get a dynamic, successful, intriguing guy who can recruit who's not weird. And when's the last time they had that, honestly? When's the last time they had that? I think you could argue they haven't had it since Bo. Everybody else has had a thing. Whereas, like, with Ohio State, you'd argue, like, well, who have, who have they had since Woody? Who could do that? Well, Trestle could. Well, Urban could. You know, maybe Earl fell short in a couple ways. Cooper fell short in his own way. But they've had two other guys who had it all. Really, I mean, I think Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer, in their own way, they give, they're everything that you would want in an Ohio State head coach. When's the last time Michigan has had a head coach that says, that's everything we want in a Michigan head coach? I think maybe they haven't had it since Bo, and I think maybe P.J. Fleck could give it to him. Maybe Matt Campbell could give it to him. Maybe Mike Hart could give it to him. And if they get that, that might be all they need. And everything else would be out the window, all the stuff we talk about. Because maybe the talent gap closes instantaneously. Their recruiting amps up. The enthusiasm around the program ramps up. And everything else that you need is is there. It's in place at Michigan. It's just been dormant because nobody since Bo has been able to bring that out of it. So um, I think it's possible. But so PJ Fleck in general, Nath, Stephen, you are pretty much all the way in on PJ Fleck, whether it's at Minnesota or Michigan or somewhere else, or you have some apprehension still. I think I don't want to say I'm all the way in, but I'm interested to see what he can do. Just, to throw the recruiting aspect into this right now, Minnesota's eighth in the country in, in, in recruiting rankings for 2021. And obviously that'll probably change as some of these major programs kind of ramp up their ramp up stuff here, but 16 commits five, four stars and the number eight in the country, number two in the big 10. I think he's shown things on the football field that shows that he can, ha- he can put it, have a, a scheme both offensively and defensively that can compete and maybe be a thorn in the side of Ohio state, but also you know, he can get to the Penn State level of things if, you know, they can ramp up their com- recruiting, especially with this name, image, and likeness stuff where he's in, a, in a, a city where that may be able to benefit from that. And so, Nathan, what's your apprehension – or not even apprehension, just still level of question on P.J. Fleck? I think P.J. Fleck's a good football coach. I think Minnesota is a, a, a fine program right now, but I just put them in that tier still of Iowa, Wisconsin. You know, the best team from the West in a given year is still – maybe a top 20 program and not a threat at the top of college football yet. And I don't, I, I didn't see that from Minnesota at all last year. And I, I, I need to see it to believe it. So the thing that I think with Minnesota is right. I was the same way the, when Wisconsin and Iowa are good, even at their best, they're very, they're good, a very specific way that to me is not a, a problem for Ohio state. Do you generally agree with that? I do. Yes. Okay. So I just think it's possible the way Minnesota is trying to be good is not that way. I think they're trying to be good, for lack of a better word, like just like a normal way. They're not doing a very specific thing. And so that, I think, is what would be the game changer. And so the question is, is last year was what Minnesota did last year, and I don't disagree, and you voted on it every week. You studied it more than, I, than Stephen and I did. The idea of how much of that Minnesota thing was real. The question is, was that Minnesota just starting to peek through 
And that was the tip of the iceberg. And there is much more to come. Or was that is what Minnesota, if they're going to be good, that's what it's going to be look like. Well, you know, they win some non-conference game against crappy teams. They might start off seven or eight. No, but then they're going to lose to somebody. And then frankly, really, they're not going to give Ohio State a problem. That's the thing we don't know about Minnesota. But like, what if Minnesota became like the Big Ten version of Oregon? You know, like they're not USC, but man, in their own way, in their part of the country, and that half of the conference, whoo, they've got something going. We don't know where it could go. I don't think it's impossible that it could go that way and that P.J. Fleck at Minnesota is what Chip Kelly was like at Oregon. And again, you're not USC, but what you're trying to do really works in its own way, right? So that's your. it seems like that's your question, right? That is my question, and I think a lot of what you're describing as far as, like, recruiting for, you know, potential the, – the athleticism, the kind of playmakers that they could get there that aren't really the kind of style that Wisconsin and Iowa plays, I feel would not surpass Penn State doing kind of the same thing and still being a more immediate threat to Ohio State in the East. Right. No, I think that's reasonable. Um, all right. So, again, you know, it, this is interesting to think about, though, because what's the context? The context is Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten – but who can come at them? So I think there was some really good questions from the texters. If you want to be part of that, we always say, help shape the pod. Help us figure out what's interesting and what to talk about. 614-350-3315. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Wednesday pod. We're doing the bye week. So we're four weeks in. We have previewed Bowling Green, Oregon, Buffalo, and Rutgers. This is the bye week in the schedule. And so this was Steven's idea. We are not going to jump right to Iowa, which is the next game. We're going to talk about the bye week. And in the bye week, we're going to talk about LSU, last year's national champion. They're not on Ohio State schedule in 2020. I don't know that any of us think that they're going to be a playoff contender necessarily, not to the level of Clemson and Alabama. But what can Ohio State learn from LSU? What could they copy? Can the Ohio State 2020 offense look like the LSU 2019 offense? That is what we are going to dig in on on the Wednesday podcast, and we certainly hope you are back to join us. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. We appreciate you guys being part of Buckeye Talk. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.